looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. All right, Josh, welcome back to the show. How are we doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I got DJ here with me. We're actually, this is the first time I think all of us have been, done an in-person recording, which is pretty exciting. We went and we're in Charlotte, went and grabbed some lunch at one of Josh's spots he likes going to, and now we're recording the episode, doing a, a deal deep dive. Josh, if you want to go ahead and, uh, for those of you that didn't listen to your episode when you're on the show before, uh, just give us a quick background on yourself and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm a multifamily syndicator. Um, I myself got started a few years ago uh, as a limited partner. Um, I try to sort of take the whole story really quickly back to when I was 16 years old. Um, My perspective comes at it from retirement accounts. So I actually opened up a retirement account when I was 16 years old, Uh, opened up a Roth IRA uh, because my, my mother and my grandfather were both CPAs. So they suggested I should start looking out for my financial future. Uh, and I started investing that way. I just put away whatever I had invested in, um, you know, that working a job that summer. And uh, I just started investing in the stock market. And fast forward about 10 years from then, uh, both my mother and my grandfather had passed away at that point. Um, and they left my sisters and I with, you know, not a life changing amount of money, but it was enough that we needed to make sure we were going to be good stewards of the, uh, of the, the, the capital they had provided us with. Um, so I started diving deep into how I could use those retirement accounts uh, to invest in alternate asset classes, things that weren't just the stock market. I wanted to have more control over my funds. Um, I've been doing it for a while and I, I wanted to kind of have yeah more control over everything. So when I started doing that, um, I was able to come at it from that limited per- partner perspective, uh, was able to kind of understand all the questions I needed to ask surrounding the retirement accounts. And uh, when I ended up jumping in as a general partner myself and an active syndicator, uh, gave me a, I guess, a unique perspective, and that's sort of the the, the type of investor I tend to help uh, is, is going to be a retirement investor who's looking for, uh, you know, how to place their accounts in in multifamily. Yeah. So for everybody tuning in, uh, I've told my story on how I got started as a limited partner. Uh, I've met Josh, and the short time that I've known him, leading up to the podcast and spending a little bit of time with him today. Uh, I'm really impressed because Josh, uh, I, I consider myself to know some pretty finite details of being a good limited partner <laughs> and Josh is blowing me out of the water here. So I think he's got some really good stuff, but today's the deal deep dive. So some of that will be mixed in. Yep. So we are going to run through our questions on the deal. We want to make sure we stay focused on the deal. Uh, but certainly really impressed. Uh, at the end, we'll have Josh give you his contact information so you know how to reach out to him uh, if you want to connect. Uh, certainly somebody that's going at the top of my contact list. So this has been just great time spent and look forward to bringing some great content today. You're welcome for the intro, DJ. Yes, I appreciate that. It's a narrow niche, but that's uh, right. I appreciate that's right. it. Yeah, and, and to touch, you were saying, you know, regular stock investing over to alternative assets. That's why you have wall to main, you know, Wall Street to Main Street. Love that. Um, and again, towards the end, we'll put all that information in. But we're doing the deal deep dive, a deal you closed, I believe, eight days ago, you said, 
Um, we're going to be over in Florida, and we're looking at 166 units. So why don't you just give us the quick high level of the deal? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we were happy to find this. Uh, we actually own an asset just three miles away in Sarasota that we purchased back in March. Um, that asset has been uh, absolutely blowing us away with its performance. Um, we can cover that you know, somewhere down the line, but the, the, the rents we're achieving there are far beyond what we ever expected. Okay. Uh, and so we were working with the same broker uh, to go and you know try to hunt down more deals. My partners, um, Warren Dresner and Ryan Webster of Equity Yield, uh, they're out there, you know, hammering the brokers trying to find stuff. We ended up using the same broker um, and found this this opportunity in Bradenton. It's a Class B property in a we call it an A maybe A minus area. Um, I'm a huge fan of the the immediate neighborhood because there are seven schools within one oh, wow. mile. Um, some of them are colleges too. There's a directly adjacent to the property is um, is a college and there's even a um, uh, what is it like a workers or what was the the colleges for for like a a, a trade school it's trade school, trade yep, school. okay yeah yeah so there's a trade school just across the street and then nice. a Montessori school and then there's you know the elementary high school and middle school so. There's a lot of different community um, pieces there. And then right behind it is a thing called the IMG Academy. If you're a fan of high school football or any sport, you'll know that that's the premier place that ends up sending folks to D1 schools, to the Olympics. Um, plenty of top uh, athletes have. High school recruiting at its finest, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so that's directly behind the property. So it's in a great location. Um, and yeah, the, the property was built in 1986, uh, just, uh, you know, your standard kind of value add. It wasn't neglected, right. but there's just some deferred maintenance that we can come in and fix. And, uh, it's, you know, we can repeat the, the, the business plan we have at the other property right now. Right. So to be clear, it's not student housing. It's not, uh, you know, there's no tax low income housing type agreements. It is just what we're going to say, standard B class housing value add. Uh, in a nice neighborhood. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I like that. So before we get kind of too into the deal itself, let's talk a little bit about location geographically. How did you guys, I know you said you had a, uh, an asset close to this deal already. So obviously you guys have done your, you know, you've vetted the market. Roughly, how did your team find the, uh, this market, this location? And you, I know you're not too much on the acquisition side, so if you don't know, that's fine. But right. how are you guys finding it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it's ironically, I actually have family in the Sarasota area. Okay. So I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I can now write off any you know family trips that are down there. <laughs> there you go. Visit the property management. So um, good situation there. But it's in the time that I've been visiting, and in my previous job, I actually um, when I worked for PepsiCo, I actually worked with the Sarasota dispatch team down there. So I've been doing business there for a while. My partners, uh, one of them lives in Miami, so he's familiar with the Southwest Florida market uh, and just an explosive population growth. I think the Tampa area is doing well, and the Sarasota Bradenton MSA is doing even better. Um, so, for the the list I sent out this morning, you said yeah, you want to talk about what that list was and where it sat on the list. Yeah, uh, there the. The thing you sent from Yardy Matrix, yep. it was a little breakdown of, I think, the last quarter, and it broke it down into large cities, and I think Phoenix was at the top, Tampa was number two, and then it took um, kind of, I guess, secondary, maybe tertiary markets, other markets, yep. and uh, the Southwest Florida market was at the very top. There you go. Even the, the Phoenix market, I think it was 23.6% 
year over year rent increase. Wow. Um, hot off the press, folks. Yeah, hot literally off the press, today. Breaking news <laughs> from uh, Victory Capital Group. So <laughs> that is that's that's awesome. I mean, that's that's huge when we're looking at properties and we're not looking at just forced appreciation, but natural appreciation uh, due to the market. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really incredible what we're seeing um, when we ended up doing going down for due diligence and we took a look at the different uh, competing properties nearby we toured i think six of the immediate seven or eight properties nearby uh every single one of them was at 99 percent occupancy or higher and this one is too correct yes this one's at 99 wow um, so over the basically the nearest eight properties uh there were 2100 units total and there were only 20 available across wow. those eight properties That's so it's amazing. just it's just forcing up the rent naturally um, and it's it's ensuring that vacancy remains high throughout. It's it's uh, a hot time in multifamily. We're hearing this in multiple markets, uh, certainly across the South, Texas, other select markets out west. It's uh, you know it's a great time to be a multifamily investor for sure. Yeah. And on the acquisition side, so what was your guys' overall purchase price, and what did that uh, what is that equivalent to on a price per door? Yeah. So uh, we ended up buying for I think thirty three million and change for thirty two million. Okay. And per door, it worked out to one hundred eighty-two thousand a door. That's really not that bad for some stuff that I've heard traded in Char- or not Charlotte, excuse me, in Florida. Yeah, and the interesting thing was we purchased um, our other property, Oakwood, um, in Sarasota. About I think we went under contract in November of twenty twenty, and we were under contract for I think one seventy-four or one seventy-six a door. Okay. And so moving from uh, where the market's been from then until now. Was really happy to only see that large of a bump and the this property shows even better it's got really nice landscaping and it's an even better location than the great other property so we were pretty happy with that price. that's good and finding the deal you guys have one nearby did you say you worked with the same broker to find this yeah so we worked with jbm uh and interesting thing was they because we have that that connection with them uh they were they put together their lm they were ready to put it out to market they kind of pitched it to my partners uh, Pre, pre-market? Pre-market, yeah. There you go. Pitched it to equity yield, and uh, they were able to they crunch the numbers, and everything worked out at the asking price. So we just offered asking price, and there you go. never took it to market, and we just got it that way. I mean, that that's pretty big because now you're getting the property. You could say you preempted it, or you took it pre-market before it got out there. It got bid up by other groups. You had a longer process going, and now you're even showing that broker twice now, not just once, but twice, that you guys are able to successfully close a deal and I'm very sure you know you guys will be on top of mind when another deal in that immediate area or surrounding is going to come up. So uh, that is pretty cool. So you know, my next question was, do you guys have a relationship with the broker? But we kind of answered that. You guys obviously do. Um, you were told about the deal. You guys penciled it out. You were able to acquire it for asking. Was there any retrading that need to happen after due diligence, or were you guys pretty spot on the money no, with everything? It was a pretty solid deal. Okay, and we said um, 166 units. What is the unit mix? Are there a lot of threes, two, one beds, or how does that look? So the, I would say this is my only gripe for this property. Uh, it's only twos and ones. Okay. And the ones skew on the smaller side. Mm. Um, and it's just it's just the way it is for that market. It happens to be it's one of the you know slightly smaller properties in terms of you know unit size. Um, but you know with the way vacancy is and where the potential is for where we can actually take the property. We enjoyed it. We liked where it was at. And plus the, the floor plans, we actually have heard really good things about just the general layout. When we walked other properties nearby, there was, I would say, like a misuse of, you know, you walk in and immediately there's that half wall to the kitchen. So you mm-hmm. have to turn around that. And so there was kind of this 
this wasted foyer where you're wasting about 100 square feet. Right. Um, and so with these ones, it's just very open. You everything is is available to use immediately. So while some of the units are down at five and 600 square feet, it actually didn't feel too small. And we saw some that had a spare bed in the living room and everything. So oh wow, okay. Um, they were yeah making good use of the space. And we'll we'll definitely get into that in, in a little bit to touch on the renovation budget and what you guys planning doing there. The question we get a lot is underwriting. So people are always like, well, who's spreadsheet are you using? What program are you using? You know, all that fun stuff. And like, I can tell you're not terribly experienced when you ask those questions. But what are you guys using? Do you have one in-house that you're using? Do you guys have, you know, a lot of people use the Michael Blanc, Michael Blank, whatever you want to call them, spreadsheet. What do you guys typically like to use to look at the deal? Yeah, so I'm part of uh, Think Multifamily, and yeah. they put out a really robust uh, analyzer that um, they're constantly updating. So we've been using that, and uh, it's really great in, in terms of able we're able to really estimate what the rehab budget and schedule looks like so we can plug in how many per month we expect to to renovate and then it's able to take those offline uh, account for that in the pro forma and okay adjust for you know how much vacancy we're going to have at that moment while we're you know renovating a two or a three right. or one bedroom right and when you guys were purchasing this property roughly what was the cap rate that you guys purchased at and when I ask you that question, kind of tell us how you guys look at the cap rate, because some people say, we just look at the straight up T12, the NOI, and we get our cap rate based off the purchase price. Or some people will say, we take the T12, but we adjust for taxes upon that purchase price. Mm -hmm. How do you guys look at that? And what was that number compared to the market? Yeah. So if you're just looking at the straight T12, um, it's a 5.6% cap rate. Wow. The market is a 5, or sorry, 4.3%. Uh, if we're looking at like pro forma, which is kind of tricky on a value add deal, yes, yeah. it goes down to like a 4.6, I think. Um, so it depends if you're looking at stabilized after two years, or you're looking at T12. Um, you know, I, as a buyer, I don't know I'm necessarily as um, reliant on entry cap rates as I am on the business plan and where other properties are and where we can take the, the units. Um, but it, we were able to buy above you know market cap rate. Yeah, that, and that's that's a big thing with that entry cap rate, where were you guys sitting or did you use like kind of a matrix of that exit cap rate? Where did you guys kind of hit that at? Where are you projecting it to be? And how long is the hold period to where you're going to get that cap rate? Yeah, so it's a five-year deal. So we use a cap rate escalator. Okay. And in, let's say, uh, C, maybe B minus properties, we'll usually use about a 0.15 cap rate uh, escalator per year. 15 on, basis points annually. Exactly, okay. yeah. And then we'll use 10 on maybe like a class A or class B plus, something that has cap rates that are much more compressed. Yep. Um, and so there we've, we've estimated that the cap rate is going to be about a half percent up from where it is right now. So we're exiting at a 4.8. Okay. And then um, I saw on your uh, investor summary, whatever you want to call it, your OM, that you hand out to the investors that you guys have basically a, a scale for that exit cap rate, which I really like. You kind of show the one where you guys want to be at and then plus or minus if the market improves or it gets a little bit worse. And I like that approach a lot. We were kind of talking about that at lunch because it gives investors the opportunity to see what their returns would be if they truly believe the cap rate's gonna either compress more or if it's gonna stay the same or if it's gonna tick up a little bit because maybe interest rates tick up a little bit, which cap rate really follows a little bit. So really like what you guys did there. Yeah, I like it from the perspective of showing them the ability, uh, you know, the, the property's ability to sustain uh, decent enough returns if the if for whatever reason cap rates really start to escalate, which I can't imagine a reason they would. Um, but 
uh, if they do, uh, you know, we estimate, you know, what it would look like if things start to go further than we, we expected. And uh, you can see that, you know, returns aren't hammered necessarily. Yeah. And for those that don't know, if you, you have to uh, look at this exit cap rate, it's the biggest assumption that's made on any one of these deals. Yes, there are other uh, assumptions that are made, but in terms of the business plan, <clears throat> that's what's going to drive a large percentage of the returns. So you need to make sure that you understand in any deal you look at, what is the strategy behind that exit cap rate and why? Um, because we can't accurately predict where things are going to be in the future. Yeah, I completely agree. And the way I look at it, it's like pulling levers to get a, a, a different final product. You can pull the cap rate, exit cap rate lever, and that one's probably going to move it in the most significant amount. You've got the uh, rent escalators. So how much annually are you increasing rents? Is it uh, a, a fair two to four percent? Are we talking like a twelve to fourteen percent or ten percent? Something that's really high. Maybe it is something that's like seven or eight percent, but you know the market can handle that. Like this one, I would imagine it's going to be pretty high because you're at ninety nine percent occupancy in 2100 units right around there that screams that you know rents are lower than they need to be and you guys can continue to bring those up i guess you know some yeah as an investor you're looking for an achievable plan correct yeah so, realistic and if you're going into a deal that's going to assume you know six eight ten percent rent growth and has an exit cap rate at or below where it's being purchased uh the likelihood uh, that you make those numbers is going to be reduced versus a, a, you know an opportunity that's offered up where uh, it shows a higher cap rate than where it was purchased and uh, conservative rent growth. Yeah, I, I agree. Let's talk about debt a little bit on the property. So what did you guys do for financing? Was it uh, bridge debt? Was it agency? Was it a, a private financing debt? What did you guys do there? Yeah, very typical bridge debt. Um, we got a uh, interest rate of 3.5%. Um, it's a three plus one plus one deal. So uh, initial three year term with uh, two one year uh, options to options. extend there. Yeah, nice. Exactly. And that's that's definitely safe. So do you guys plan on just utilizing the bridge debt and then rolling into a perm financing or agency financing or just using the bridge debt on the property? Yeah, we'll be uh, we, we plan to refinance around year three after month 36 or so. Uh, and we'll be moving into an agency debt at that point. Okay. Let, before we kind of skew too far away from it, I want to touch on the bridge debt. So we, two things, or one thing that I really like you said is you have the plus one, plus one. So you guys have three years on the bridge debt, but let's say the business plan isn't going accordingly or the market's shifting and you guys, you know, interest rates are high and you don't want to refinance. You guys have two options to extend. You have a full 24 months. Uh, which is like a contingency plan. I think mm -hmm. that's pretty safe, pretty smart. Just like for, you know, for DJ and I and our deal, we're doing a, it's a five-year hold period, but we're doing a seven-year term on the financing. So that way, you know, the loan isn't due at year five when we want to sell in case interest rates go up, uh, property values aren't where we want them to be, or there's a coronavirus, you know, something crazy like that. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll never happen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's contingency plan. I respect you for that. Um, was it a loan to cost? If so, what was the percentage of loan to cost or did you finance renovation budget? How did that look? Yeah, 100% of the rehab budget is financed. Um, nice. Loan to cost was 75. It may have crept up to 76 at the very end. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, the, one of the nice things was the appraisal while we were under contract actually came in, I think, 850000 above uh, our asking price. So. Bought a deal. Yeah. Bought a deal. Yep. So... Is that and that was interest only the whole, or it's going to be interest only the yeah, whole bridge? Exactly. Okay, so 
That is that is great. And do you guys plan on returning any capital to the investors at that refinance? Yeah, at refinance, we plan on returning, I think it's about 32% of originally invested capital. Uh, so people can just keep that velocity of capital rolling. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to have a separate podcast on that. Yeah, so, what we're that, talking about at lunch right with there, the cash it, on it's cash. A, we're going to stay focused on the deal, but that's a, <laughs> that's another hidden gem uh, coming from Josh. So uh, this just, just note that and we'll move on. Yes, we will. Um, this property set is in uh, close proximity to another one you guys have. So does that mean you guys are going to try to tap into economies of scale, kind of have the same property manager manage both and try to get a deal? Or how does that look? Yeah, so we are using the exact same property manager. We use ResProp. Uh, we actually found them because they were the owner of the prior deal that we bought. Nice. Uh, they were in a JV with um, uh, an owner, another their, their co-owner, and uh, I guess it just wasn't working out. So uh, it was managed perfectly well, and we had no reason to change up uh, the, the management. So they've been crushing it on our other property. Super happy with them. Uh, our weekly calls go really well. They do a phenomenal job training their uh, leasing staff. Um, and they're just really on top of everything. So we're more than happy to, to use them. We actually switched up our um, our DD teams and we used them for DD. And I nice. uh, was very impressed, and almost more so than any other team I've, I've been a part of. I was very happy with their performance and their communication through it. Um, and so uh, we, we're using them and we plan on roughly, I wouldn't say it's a copy paste, a complete replication of the other business plan. Right. Uh, but in terms of where it is from an operational standpoint, it roughly is. We're just buying slightly different materials um, because one's A class, one's B class. Yeah, different class asset, certain finishes, and certain but communities. Rollout, yeah, and the, but the rollout and the construction team is all the same. So it's uh, it's something that we can definitely uh, pull off since we're doing it right now. Yeah, that is that is great. Real quick, I want to go back. I didn't ask. The bridge debt, do you know who you guys went through to obtain that uh, bridge debt? Okay, that's fine. Um, for the property manager, what are they doing as far as compensation? Is it a, a lower rate, like 3% of gross rents plus payroll, or what does that look like? What are they charging you? Yeah, it's 3% uh, plus payroll, I believe. Okay, and would you guys budget roughly for payroll? Is there like a price per door you guys look at? Is there like an overall cost um, or... How do they kind of send it out to you guys? Yeah, so when we, we go through our pro forma, we, we write it alongside of our, uh, with the, the property manager and- Oh, okay. So they kind of tell you what it's going to be really. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we're able to, I mean, because we had another asset, we were able to see whether or not it was- it was Comparable, comparable to it. Comparable reasonable. Um, so yeah, they gave us a number, we plugged it in and- Awesome. Go with that quote. Uh, so let's talk about that renovation scope of what you guys plan doing with the unit. So- Roughly, do you know how many units are renovated total on the property already? And, and what do you guys plan on doing? What's the business plan moving forward to add the value? Yes, yeah, so this one's like an interesting, the, the answer behind this is kind of interesting because there are currently four different finishes uh, for the property. Okay. There's the original unrenovated. There's a light rehab that happened sometime probably in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then the current owner decided to go with two different renovations. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, right? <laughs> so now there's four different finishes. Uh, and so we basically are planning to bring up everything to either that final finish or something that's a slightly nicer uh, finish than, than anything else on the property. So there's 166 units. We plan on renovating all 166, uh, getting it done within two years. Um, we've allocated $6,500 per unit uh, to get it all done. Um, we're mostly focusing on the kitchens. Okay. The bathrooms, yeah. they renovated most of the bathrooms and they were all perfectly functional. It doesn't need a, 
a huge change necessarily, but yeah, we'll be putting in granite countertops, uh, new cabinet fronts, we're keeping the boxes, some recessed lighting, modern backsplashes, you know, usual stuff. They actually had been taking out, it was interesting, they took out all the over stove microwaves because huh. there was actually a code violation because of the, the microwaves that were in there were so, they were from the early 2000s probably, they were so bulky that they were coming in low and hanging over the stove. And oh, certain, okay. I guess every state has it, but Florida has a certain height they have to be above the stove top. And I guess they were finding that they were in violation of the code. So they were ripping them out and returning the units. And now, you know, microwaves are a lot slimmer. So we're actually able to throw the microwaves back in. Oh, okay. So you are going to put the microwaves back up. An extra 50 bucks a month for rent for that. Um, nice. And add another, you know, amenity in the unit. Now, I've seen a lot of silly codes out there, but that doesn't strike <laughs> me as being one of those. <laughs> no. <laughs> good reason behind that. Yeah. Having a minimum difference, distance between your microwave and the heat source. Uh, not a bad idea. I like that. So, is there laundry inside the units? Is there a laundry facility? If so, yes, no. And then other amenities that you're seeing on the property, if yeah. any. So there's laundry in the units. Um, we've got a pool with an outdoor kitchen. Uh, there's uh, one large pond lake in the property with a couple fountains. And so we're going to be adding in a uh, a gathering space around there because right now it's just you know your typical. I don't know if it's just purely there for drainage, but uh, we're adding something to at least provide a space to enjoy the property or to enjoy the, the, the pond uh, because right now everyone just has kind of that patio lanai type of situation where right. screened in porch um, and they can kind of look at it but they can't really sit there and enjoy it so we'll be sprucing that up but um, I think there's a, a dog washing facility and two dog parks uh, and that might be about it it's a good looking community I mean we, we've yeah. got it pulled up here I mean it's just it's sharp um, especially for the age of the asset, it's in really good shape. It looks like from these photos. Now I know you know you've got four different types of units for renovations. So rents, inline rents, right now are probably all over the place. But where are the average rents kind of sitting at the moment, and where would you like? To, where would you guys like to get those rents to? Yeah, so um, it's a question of where were they at when we went under contract and where were they at when we actually acquired it because that's how fast the market's moving right now. Yeah, we could second that. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we acquired, they were at about um, $1,300 and change. Um, and we're taking them to mid-14s, 1470. Uh, the key behind all this, though, is the, I'd say the, the largest portion of the mismanagement behind this asset was that these were out-of-state investors. I believe they were from Wisconsin and they weren't using a, um, like a they weren't using a yardy matrix or a, a, a tool to help them, you know, pick out the, uh, the, the market rent and to yep. look at comparable properties. They were eye spotting it by themselves and they were taking a look at, you know, what the traffic was and maybe where they should put the rent based on mm. how it's being received at that time. So right. There was a gigantic loss to lease uh, there of 230 bucks. Wow. So you said they're roughly on average about 1300 a month right now. I'm sorry, did you, is that what you they, said? They may have bumped up to 14, but yeah, when we went under, it was, it was 13. 14. Okay, we'll use 13 for now because that's what you guys underwrote on. Yeah. And you said you can probably get them to 1400, maybe 15. Yeah, 1470 is what we. Okay, so let's say uh, 1470 minus the 1300. That's going to show 170 a month premium. Yeah. Uh, times 12, so you're looking at $2,000 premium per unit over the year. And the way we kind of like to look at renovations is what's the return on renovation. So if you guys are spending about 6,500 on average, 
that that's a great return of about 32% return on investment of that renovation budget. So for those that are listening, like for those that are listening, you need to know that Dante used his calculator and did not do that in his head. No, yeah, that's correct. Yes. I have my phone right here and I'm doing the math just so I want to make sure I'm doing it right. It's not my deal. So I'm blowing him in. Yes, he is. So the way we like to look at renovations is if we can only acquire a $50 rent bump premium and have to spend $6,500 to do it, we're most likely not going to do it or even more than 6,500 because the return on uh, investment of that renovation is too low. We want to see it above 25% and you guys are at 32%. So that just means you're, you're trading out that 6,500 for that 2000 premium and the amount of value you're building. I'm not going to do the math on my calculator here <laughs> to figure out within the NOI, taking the cap rate and adding how much value you're adding to the, the, the asset itself. We know you're doing that because you're executing the business plan properly. Yeah. I'm just like, Elvo and DJ over here. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> so no, that's great. It, and this offering, was it a 506B or C offering? It was a 506B. Okay. B for Bravo. Now, what was it, what's the kind of mindset behind some of the main operators on that deal that wanted B versus C? Is it just a lot of their database is a, of a, a lesser dollar value, we'll say, not accredited status? Yeah, I think it comes from that. Um, most folks who have, uh, not most, but like a large chunk of the folks who have uh, joined the database of the other partners that were on the deal, uh, were non-accredited. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of that is shifting as the markets have gone up and up and up and away. Uh, as the stock market grows, I think you're finding far more investors that are going to be accredited. Yeah, uh, I think it's pushing it into the range of 506C a lot more. You know, a lot more frequently than in the past. Um, you know, when they set that rule, it, it was a lot harder to become you know an accredited investor and have a million dollars in your pocket than it is right now and they haven't shifted those goalposts in quite a while yeah they've they've really stayed flat for a long time i'm actually surprised they haven't gone up so it would seem likely that more and more people are falling into that category yeah i would agree and kind of speaking of your team and decisions they're making it sounds like you've got a pretty solid team on this deal it sounds like you've worked with them before a lot of people are always asking what can i do to build a team get on a good team partner with some experienced guys or someone like yourself how did you find this group that you guys are investing with or that you're partnered with? Yeah, I mean, I'm a bit biased from my perspective here. I um, I joined up with this group, Think Multifamily. It's a multifamily, uh, an active multifamily um, mentorship group, uh, uh, educational group. So uh, one, not only do we learn from our mentor and, uh, and the, the different lessons that he provides, but uh, we're also able to utilize his his net worth, his yeah. balance sheet, yep. and other partners that also have joined. Other partners have joined specifically for the purpose of becoming a KP. Um, we can use you know their balance sheets and, and everything. So um, yeah, being able to have that, that network where everybody is kind of driving towards the same goal uh, and they put down money to you know basically uh, you know achieve that and and they put their money where their mouth is. Um, it's it's been really key and it's it's allowed us to kind of form these teams that. Um, I guess there's there's a lot less friction and there's a lot uh, we're able to kind of build the team with the different pieces we need a lot more readily I think than than some other people might be able to. Yeah, I think that's yeah, huge. Yeah, so there's a lot of these programs out there. You obviously have to choose wisely. I would certainly say don't rush into anything. No, because when you go to some of these meetings, they will want you to rush in. Uh, what is it? Buyer's Euphoria. Dante used to sell cars. 
after the driver's test. I didn't uh, force anyone to buy anything. <laughs> oh my goodness, I don't do that anymore. Ta taking advantage of the test drive, right? That's the time to strike. Is oh yeah, you just yeah. can you see yourself so, in this vehicle? So, you know. <laughs> so, so there's uh, certainly that element to it where you hop into one of these meetings and it's it's all you know you're fired up and flowers and roses. Yep, and, oh, yeah. yeah, you're gonna make money and. So, you know, we just, educational programs are good. Just make sure you know what it is that you're buying into. Uh, if you don't have any real estate education, like I didn't, it was the right decision for me. It sounds like it was for Josh. Uh, Dante's a professional realtor, started out uh, getting his real estate license and has evolved into an investor. Uh, but he spends a ton of time. Uh, really educating himself and has pretty much read every book out there. So it could be another career for him uh, doing <laughs> book reviews. Uh, but yeah, you have to know what it is that you're doing. And it sounds like you, you found one that worked extremely well for you. Yeah. We were talking about that at lunch. Of, you know, you're basically saying it was just about the first one you, you found and it happened to be a good one. You did your due diligence zone, kind of checked out some other ones. And the first one happened to be a good one, which is great. For your team on this, about how much capital total did you guys have to raise? Uh, so we raised 8.9 at the end. So okay. It's really interesting because it, it changes throughout the, oh, yeah. the process towards close. So we thought we were prepared for, I believe it was 10.1 or 10.2. And then it kind of just kept on uh, creeping down as uh, lender reserves changed and, uh, you know, uh, different different amounts changed. Were you guys like, I know this was an agency, it was bridge debt. Were they bringing down like that COVID reserve or did they not have a reserve? Did that come into effect? Yeah, there was a, a COVID reserve. Um yeah, I, uh, I don't know the exact other items that might have happened. Right, no, that's fine. But uh, as the appraisal came in and as, uh, you know, different uh, environmental insurance stuff, you know, dropped, we were able to kind of drop a lot of the contingency. Sure, stuff. maybe a little bit higher loan to value, some of that come into play. Yeah, yeah. yeah and there, there goes your returns. They're just kind of going up as your capital is going down that you have to invest in. So that's, that's great. Let's talk a little bit about on the syndication side as the operators. Uh, we charge... I hate to say it, but fees. I hate the word fees, but we're really charging uh, costs for our time, our effort, finding the deal, getting funding for the deal, raising capital, due diligence. Legal costs. Yeah, uh, legal cost is another big one. And we obviously get reimbursed for that. We put it up front ourselves. But three of the big ones is acquisition, asset management, and disposition fees. Were you guys charging any of those on this project? If so, what did that look like? Yeah, uh, acquisition fees. We typically do the same thing on most of our deals. Uh, we got two percent acquisition, two percent asset management, and uh, well, no disposition fee, but we did a one percent refinance fee. Okay, that, that's fair. So a lot of times we'll see that refinance fee as one and dispo as one or two and zero. Or but in this case, you guys aren't charging one because you have the refinance in there. Again, I think that's pretty fair. And the amount of paperwork they make you go through, it's it's worth the one percent, you know, <laughs> to get that in exactly. return. What is the split you guys have planned for this deal? And what is the preferred return if you do have one as well? Yeah, we do them almost all the same. 70-30 uh, split, uh, 70 to the LPs, and an 8% prep. Um, no catch up on that. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, whatever this ends up shaking out to you after. Yeah, that, that was going to be my next question. If you guys exercise the catch up. Um, I feel like some do, some don't. We've kind of hit it in the middle. It's something we recently learned about not too long ago, actually, from our attorney. She she mentioned it and said, hey, you guys should try it out. Some people do. Some people don't. There's always mixed feelings on it. We're not really bent one way or another. Um, the other way of looking at it is sometimes just maybe doing a, uh, a waterfall hurdle. Yeah. So if you hit a certain return, 
you can split it 50-50 on the returns and that kind of, it, it's a little easier to explain to the investors sometimes than a class B catch-up because they're not too familiar with the investment type. I agree. They, they, I always say, you know, a confused mind takes no action. If you start to make this super complex waterfall or split for the deal, you just don't get comfortable with it and they don't end up doing it, which is what we've, you know, what we've seen, what we've heard and what we've found. Um, let's kind of touch on those returns. So a few different return metrics that we look at is your internal rate of return, your average cash on ca cash, your equity multiple, and then your average annual return. We can break those down for anyone, but if you want to go and just tell us the returns that you guys are really looking at for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we present all four of those to investors. Uh, equity multiplier on this one was a 1.87. Okay. Uh, and the IRR worked out to 16.2. Uh, helped out by that return of capital. Yeah, three. that's strong. Um, cash on cash is going to be 9% on this one. And average annual return was 18.2. Yeah, so I mean, those are all pretty solid returns. I'd say almost a hair above, above average of what some other syndicators are doing. Seems like you guys got a pretty solid deal. Um, we, we went over just about everything in here. We talked about return of capital. Now, the purchase price per unit was roughly how much? Remind me. Uh, that was $182,000. Okay. And then at year five, when you guys plan on selling this property, where do you plan on that price per unit being roughly? At 253 Okay. All right. So you guys are looking at about, uh, call it a $60,000 delta, 60, 65 and change um, on that. So yeah. uh, with that, DJ, did you have any other questions about this deal, being that you're primarily got into this as a passive investor you're always analyzing these things yeah so I, I just just to summarize i really like uh these deals where you do have some return of capital uh, i think some of the other numbers are certainly attractive i wish i had met josh a few months sooner i'd probably be in on this one so, uh, yeah absolutely <laughs> win some you lose some but uh, certainly i've heard great things uh, about the bradenton uh market and that msa down there uh, and actually have a friend uh, who has moved down there and he's given me a first-hand account of what is actually going on in that area. Uh, Yardy Matrix is, is backed it up with their recent uh, report. So congratulations on uh, what I think will be a home run of a deal. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, doing a good job. Like I said, we only really bring on operators and sponsors that we believe in, we like, and know they're doing good stuff you've got me on your mailing list. So I, you know, I see your stuff. I, I see what you, you're doing and I like it. And that's why we're, we're sitting here together. We're going to move on to our last section of the show. Josh, I believe you answered these questions last time, but we'll throw them at you again. We're sure. called the curious cues. We're going to check your answers against yeah. this time. No, no. If you want to change any of them off, you can. So uh, first question we have, favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? Uh, so it's interesting. I just had a kid recently and uh, as I've kind of shifted deeper into becoming a sponsor i've actually listened to less and you know fewer and fewer podcasts uh, i'd say the most the, the way i'd like to best answer this question is the most impactful one that ever taught me something was uh, michael blanc's podcast yep and jake and gino's podcast uh, wheelbarrow profits uh just phenomenal you just hear so many crazy stories and all the different ins and outs and things that could possibly happen oh yeah and so much of it is just repetition and, and hearing you know all the different permutations of what can happen you know through clothes through due diligence whatever it is and just hearing those stories is really key to, to you know, knowing what to look out for. No two days are alike in this business. Learning, and like learning from the experiences of others. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's true. And I like that. Uh, favorite book you enjoy reading? Uh, so my favorite one that I've 
listened to or sorry read recently was uh, Blue Ocean Strategy. Strategy. I haven't heard of that one. Um, and so it's really interesting. It's it kind of takes a look at so like the the best example was Cirque du Soleil. So every other circus, uh, maybe it's a one ring circus, it's a three ring circus, but they've got some clowns, they've got some elephants, they've got some other stuff. Cirque du Soleil, and they kind of all target the exact same you know demographic. Demographic, yeah. Cirque du Soleil went out and they paired circus with drama, with opera, with ballet, and they brought in people who were interested in multiple different um, entertainment yep. uh, at, you know, uh, activities, activities or whatever. Yeah. whatever yeah. And they brought them into one and they're able to kind of build a new audience. So you're taking an old product uh, and you're building out something completely different. Southwest is another version of that. Mm. Um, and so it, it gets you in the mindset and there's a lot of exercises and, and worksheets in the book that kind of make you think about how you can expand what you're doing and alter your product offering beyond what the other uh, people in your industry are, are currently offering to custom, customers, yep. businesses, whatever it is. I like uh, it. Yeah, I like that too. I haven't heard that one, so I'm going to have to check that out. Add it to my, my Amazon list. Yeah. My to be bought. And, uh, and go to the updated circus. <laughs> yes, updated circus. That is correct. <laughs> biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome? Uh, man, uh, biggest hurdle. I, I would say... It's got a good track record over here, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard when I, I just haven't I haven't had a ton of and I regret very fortunate to say it, a ton of losses. Right. Um I'd say the single biggest hurdle is being able to talk the talk mm. and educating yourself enough so that you can speak, you know, with a broker or other operators and understand the lingo. Um, because it's such a specialized industry. It's it's not as you know specialized as like an engineering thing or, or right. something that's you know there's very specific nomenclature but um if you if you cannot speak to the specific verbiage and uh, what other people are looking at uh you kind of stick out like a sore thumb very quickly absolutely i was yeah. in the the fortune builders program which is really geared towards single family um rentals things like that flips uh, they do have a commercial uh division i'll call it or teaching program that was the first thing that the commercial instructor instructor said is you need to be able to talk the language oh yeah i mean i remember when we like first got started a while back and picked up the phone for the first time like call a broker i'm like hi bob do you have any buildings like <laughs> like no i don't know how much i'm looking to spend what class i want i didn't even know there was such thing as a class like and what market it was literally like me just trying to build those relationships bob doesn't call anymore yeah i was just gonna say bob's not real but if he was he probably wouldn't call me back but now it, it's very fluent you know now that we've been doing this and, and really taking action I, I we have relationships with well over 20 individual brokers who you know we text back and forth you know call whenever they're sending me off market opportunities because a, they see I have a podcast like this. We have a podcast like this. They, they see that I know what I'm talking about. I'm not just pulling notes out of my butt. Yeah, I might have a calculator next to me to like calculate some stuff. But, and you know, they, they see me online. I go, you know, view properties. I come fly and see them. We, you know, we put in offers. We get offers accepted. And we're, we're taking action. So, you know, walk, talking the talk, walking the walk, that's huge. That's the biggest part yeah, about the, this. The important thing is Dante made the call. I did. Yeah, that's true. All you jokes aside. Because at some point, you got to start making that. That locked me up when I first got started. So just as a word of encouragement, you'll learn from every conversation. And at some point, you got to take action. Yep, I agree. Favorite non-real estate related hobby? What do you like doing in your free time? 
Uh, my favorite is skiing. There you go. I'm obsessed with just going. And that's one of the, honestly, it's one of my whys. Uh, the quick okay. story I like to tell is I used to live in Denver until last year. Uh, I got out into the mountains right before a gigantic storm came dumping down and it ended up closing Vail Pass. And so everyone in Denver who wanted to come up got stuck going up. I had been staying overnight the previous night and I ended up skiing on a, a four or five foot powder day. It was, honestly, I hate using the word, it was too much snow. Um, <laughs> but the nice thing is, the next day, I, well, I was home, I enjoyed the, the day out, and I looked at what happened the next day, and you might have seen it in the news at that point. There were two-hour, three-hour lines just to get onto one lift. Wow. Uh, people were getting stuck on the mountain because of how busy it was, and I was able to do that because of real estate. I was able to go out in the middle of the week. I didn't have to wait until a Saturday until I had to come off. Right, period. right, when everyone else is going kind of thing. Exactly. So it's one of my big whys is the, the freedom and flexibility to do the activities I want to do by myself or with my family. Absolutely. Are you doing like like gainers off the jumps? Are you hitting the, the moguls? Like what kind of skier I'm, are you? I'm not a trick person. I don't yeah. like to do flips or anything, but I can uh, I can ski essentially anything that comes at me. Okay. Uh, that, living in Denver will get you that. That's yeah. Why you, I was actually garbage when I moved there. And I, <laughs> I came out pretty decent. Yeah, there was actually a story that came out during lunch about skiing between trees. So uh, that wouldn't be my speed, but Josh has obviously su successfully navigated the trees. And, yeah. and he's here not in a neck brace, so That's he's right. got it. Right. <laughs> and second to last question, we'll say newbie advice. So what advice would you give to someone that's looking to get started in this industry? Uh, just dive in as hard as you can. I mean, it's it's so cliche to say, but I mean, educate yourself on it. I mean, you mentioned that, that Dante has read every book possible. That's so key and important. Listen to what other people have to say. Listen to every podcast, go to every seminar, absorb as much information as you can. But again, don't let yourself fall into analysis paralysis. Don't, you know, not take action because of it. Oh, yeah. Um, but just absorbing as much as you can. Stay, have a curious mind. And that's the key to learning any new hobby or, or you know, career or investment interest. Yeah, get excited about it and make it happen. I like it. Josh, this has been awesome. Uh, we appreciate you inviting us into your home because we're doing this in your dining room area right that's now. Right. So this is pretty cool. Victory Capital Group on location. Yeah, we'll come to you <laughs> uh, within reason. If you don't mind just telling the listeners real quick, if they like what they've heard from you, they like this offering that you have, and maybe you have similar ones coming up, how can they reach out to you? How can they get in contact with you? Yeah, my company is Wall to Main. Uh, and uh, essentially, I provide all kinds of education for um, normal investors, retirement investors, folks who are using any kind of capital to invest in multifamily. I also offer a free PDF uh, called the top 10 tips and tricks when investing in multifamily with your retirement account. Uh, and I just kind of give all the different um, best practices and most efficient ways to use existing retirement funds. I like it. Awesome. Well, thank you again. We appreciate you and we'll be ta talking with you soon. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.